Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hey everyone and welcome to Train and Talks and Tales. My name is Tess and we are joined by Daisy. How are you going, Daisy? Hi Tess. Hi everyone. Happy Thursday. We are really excited to be back in your ears with another fun episode. Tess, how has your week been though? What's been happening? Uh, I've had a really good week, very busy as per usual, um, not much to add, but I did want to add on from last week's episode, I was saying how well our barking hours are progressing and we've had them in shows now and flying over people's heads, so it's been great. Today, actually, um, one of them got bopped by a peewee as they're nesting and he oh. flew to the very top of the show area. And I was like, oh, Lordy, show's over. And he flew down um, from the really high height straight back down to my glove like it was no one's business. So wow. that's really exciting. That's <laughs> he, so um, cool. Yeah, he was like, oh, I'm, I don't know what to do. And he flew straight down. So um, that's great. But that was a really big training win. And yeah, just busy, busy as per usual. What about you? What's new with you? Yeah, uh, I guess <laughs> I really don't have too much to add. Just been another good week at work and hanging out with friends. My brain is solely and purely focused on the fact that in like six days time, I'm going to be sealing Taylor Swift in person. So that is where my brain is right now. Sorry, animal people, but I'm a massive Swifty and that's all I can think about for the next week because I will be heading to Melbourne on Friday. But saying that, we are heading to Melbourne Zoo on Saturday and we're going to try and jump in to see Sea Life Melbourne as well. So if any of you listening are at Melbourne Zoo, we would love to come say hi. We're going to come visit for the day. I've never been to Melbourne Zoo before, so I'm really excited for that before the concert. <laughs> mm, nice. This is like your dream. Your dream little <laughs> getaway. Animals, Taylor Swift, all in one weekend with a couple of my besties. <laughs> so excited. So yeah, it'll be fun. But before I head to Melbourne, I'm heading to see you in a couple of days. So that'll be really fun. We're going to yeah. hang out, see what you've been doing at the show and maybe take some more cute photos. <laughs> yes. No, I'm excited. It'll be a great day. I'll um have to maybe hit up some keepers tomorrow and say, what fun stuff can we do together? <laughs> yes. Um, no, I'm hanging out to see really... the, the tree kangaroo maybe. <laughs> Oh, I haven't yeah, seen it yet. Sure. Like, even just see the habitat would be so fun. Excited. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's all that um off at the back um stuff that you can see. It's gonna be great at Wild Walk. So yeah, you have to check that out. Cool. Well, I look forward to it. Anyway, yeah. um, let's get into this episode. It's a really interesting one, actually. We have Caesar joining us today, and uh honestly, he's a bit of a mixed bag, isn't he? <laughs> he's uh a podcast host so he has death by birding which is an awesome podcast he is studying vet and he also is a frog enthusiast and a bird enthusiast and basically just dabbles in a bit of everything and he was really really great to talk to so let's get into this episode yeah let's do it well welcome Caesar. it's so exciting to have you on the podcast thank you so much for joining us today no, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. 
Yeah, we've been really pumped to have you on this one. It's been uh, a couple of weeks in the works, but we finally um, got our busts in order, even though we told you the wrong time to start. We, yeah. We're here now. <laughs> no, this is good. I feel like I'm not qualified to be on this podcast almost. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. We have everyone from all walks of life, so we're, we're totally stoked to have you on. But I'm um, not sure if you've ever listened to an episode of Train Talks and Tales before, but we like to get to know people a little bit more and ask some kind of weird questions to start just to uh, okay. get straight into it. Are you cool if we jump straight into that fast five? <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> is this like, yeah, am I, is this like a lie detector test or like what's going <laughs> to Where were you on June 15th? <laughs> 100%. Okay, great. Good. All right, let's do it. Number one, okay. caps or broad brim hats? I'm wearing a cap right now. <laughs> but um, I think even though uh, I, I wear a lot of caps, I would say I prefer a broad brim hat. I think it's more sun safe. I think it's good. Nice. How much time do I have to answer these, by the way? Is it's like, fast, is there time it's quick. <laughs> okay. Was that too long? Was that like as a frame of reference? Um, like... That's maybe a little bit too long. <laughs> I just got it. It's just one word answer. Okay. I got it. All right. Number I'm ready two. for the next one. Eggs, runny or hard? Runny. Is that good? Birds or frogs? <laughs> oh, don't make me choose. It's not fair. <laughs> I don't. Oh God, birds, how about that? Sunrises or sunsets? Sunrises. Lime milkshakes, yes or no? No. All right, well, I that'll be don't, it. I don't like milk. <laughs> Look, but no, okay, if you're asking me if I think that a lime, if lime can be in a milkshake, yeah, absolutely. I've got no issues with that at all. I just don't like milk. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, um... I'm all for just like obscure and weird flavors. So like, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure I remember as a kid, my dad putting like raspberry cordial and lime cordial milk for me and me enjoying it. So look, I'm going to change, I'm going to change my answer. Yes to the weird green milk. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I love a lime milkshake, but right. I really, um, it really divides people. It's polarizing, so, hey. Yeah. It's I, like pineapple I don't on think pizza. I've ever had a lime milkshake. I feel like I need to, to definitely try. Yeah, okay. Go to Wendy's uh, and get one. That's so good. But I'm, I'm all for pineapple on pizza. Absolutely. Best thing ever. Oh, mm. I know, right? Anyone, I don't know what this, like, uh, what is this thing against pineapple on pizza? <laughs> Where did this come from? Where do people hate flavor? <laughs> Hey Tess, do you what think we should give um, Caesar the award for the longest fast five of all of our episodes? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I told you we I'd railroad this. We usually have like this little like ping, 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 like music in the background. So it's going to be going yeah. for like three. <laughs> <laughs> I was really worried when you said you were going to do this that um, it's like a favorites thing. Like, what's your favorite? Whatever. And I suck at favorites. I just don't. I don't have favorites for most things. My favorite will change based on the day. Yeah, I'm the same, 100%. Yeah. It'll be whatever comes to my mind first. <laughs> Good. All right, well, let's get into this chat. I'm already excited and I can't even remember what we're talking about. So let's, let's go into <laughs> Something it. about lime cordial on pizza. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Caesar, you're a vet student, a photographer, an avid frog conversation. Wow, conversation, yeah. Yeah. Conservationist, wow, Tess, um, and have your own very successful podcast, Death by Birdie. 
Now, there's a lot to unpack in that little intro, but let's start. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to now, a little bit more about your career journey? Yeah, sure. So uh, firstly, I don't know if I can claim the title of um, frog conservationist or conversationalist. Yeah, but, it was conversationalist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the moment, so look, I'm in my final year of uh, of vet school of like a bachelor of veterinary science with honors at the university of queensland um that i have been doing for the last six years um so i did a bunch part-time i also uh had to do some prerequisite stuff to get into that course as a lot of people do i took time off in between i've been working in vet clinics i think now for god it has to be close to 10 years um and so it's been a long journey and um, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm in my final year, which means a lot of placement. So uh, I guess you could say unpaid labor, um, <laughs> but also just learning how to be a, a good veterinarian, which is something I'd like to be. Um, but at the same time, like I've been really fortunate to work in, in vet clinics the whole time I've been studying. And for the last couple of years, I've been working at the RSPCA Wildlife Hospital. So as like a wildlife nurse. So cool. That's awesome. I can't believe you've been studying for six years. I always forget how long the veterinarian degree is. Is it something that you've always wanted to be like from when you were younger? Uh, Look, I don't really remember when I was younger. I think again, like I I probably changed what I wanted to be when I was younger uh, very frequently. Um, But no, like it was really later on in life for me, the like this passion for veterinary science and veterinary medicine. And really, I think it stemmed from uh, I, I had started swimming science uh, just in general, not really knowing what I wanted to do um, after a, like a brief career as a like a musician. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go do science. I'm going to uh, see what that's all about. And then through that, I kind of got obsessed with frogs and critters and mushrooms and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and yeah, and then I was kind of like looking at my career prospects and thinking like, what can I do with uh, a Bachelor of Science? And um, I wanted something practical. I think that um, I, I struggle with focus <laughs> and particularly like struggle to um, to really hone in on one single thing. I have so many like diverse interests, particularly in science and in nature, um, that I needed something really practical, something that I could apply those skills to um, and yeah, I've always loved animals. I love the science of animals. I love zoology. I love biology in general. And um, yeah, for some reason, at one point it just clicked. I thought, well, you know, veterinary medicine can sort of encompass a lot of things that I'm really interested in. It's, it's never boring. Um, and it can take you in so many different directions. I think ultimately the, the, the bachelor, uh, sorry, ultimately the veterinary degree is like a really, really broad science degree so even if you finish the degree and decide i don't really want to be a veterinarian you're qualified to do so many things and that that just really appealed to me yeah it makes sense i I feel yeah yeah i feel like every time i learn more about you there's just like another aspect or like another interest or hobby and like musicians being thrown in there too it's like you have so many different interests and talents it's um it's impressive yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's nice of you to say. I think ultimately everything I do is uh, can kind of be narrowed down to two things, um, like science. These are broad, but like science and uh, music or I guess art in general because I just like 
those two <laughs> the two broadest topics in the world i just really like everything um <laughs> but yeah like everything i i'm passionate about is really either science or music and any art that i do um like i'm a terrible drawer but i enjoy drawing um and a lot of that is just about science i like sort of pursuing the way that science and art communicates with one another and how it helps people um have a better understanding of nature and so within like obviously within your study and the opportunities you've had for placement and to be you know out and about in veterinary clinics has there been anything that's kind of been a bit of a surprise to you or I guess like if anyone's listening that might want to take down a similar career path that you have to be aware of or you know something that you know you weren't kind of expecting yeah look I get a lot of messages asking me about um how to proceed with particularly like vet um, vet studies and I think um, my advice to everyone who's kind of got an inkling that oh maybe I'd like to do vet is uh, just get a job in a vet clinic somehow even if it's just like go and volunteer go just see what it's about because it's definitely romanticized I think that people don't quite understand um, sort of some of the stresses and the pressures that are put on vets and vet techs and vet nurses, like that whole team, vet receptionists. Um, it, it is quite a stressful job um, and it's it's not as pretty as I think people think it is, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Um, so I think that that's why you find people persisting with it is that for all the, you know, the gore and the feces and the death and stuff like that and the sometimes um less than generous clientele um you do a lot of good um and so i think to answer your question if there's anything that surprised me i suppose it was it was really that uh, all the depictions that i'd seen of of vet med um just what completely incorrect <laughs> yeah and I think you, you were saying romanticizing your role as a vet, it would be the same for us as keepers to know, uh, too, totally. you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, like what a great job. And then they're scrubbing poo off walls for several hours and yeah. doing yeah. back breaking labor and then like have <laughs> contact with an animal for a few minutes. And they're like, huh, not quite what I pictured. So yeah, cuddle animals. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, that's right. We probably have the, the same things, right? People being like, oh, it must be so nice to just cuddle animals all day. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's not That's exactly what I do, what I do. <laughs> there is a well, bit of um, that, let's be honest <laughs> but yeah we wouldn't do it if it wasn't <laughs> those are the perks uh, yeah um well going back to you know your love of um like music and the arts and industry um and that kind of industry as well you're an amazing photographer so I'd like to talk a little bit more about that and you have some great photos that you take with film is that something that you ever was interested in pursuing or is that just something that you like doing on the side like a bit of a cool hobby I, i've never considered pursuing wildlife photography as a career um mm -hmm. and in fact like i'm i don't really take a lot of photos so i started um i started taking photos of frogs and then i started taking photos of birds and then you know just it sort of progressed like that and then at some point um i started taking photos on 35 mil film uh just because i was a bit bored maybe um and because i'm not because i'm not pursuing wildlife photography it like sort of gave me a lot of freedom um and i just want to create shots that i really like and i want to create things that are a bit different and you know ultimately sure i could just 
still shoot on the digital and then put a fun filter on it and it would look like film probably would but i i just love that process and i love um like the serendipitous nature of how like film interacts with the environment and with light and how you're never quite sure what you're going to get and sometimes it's like grainy and nasty and i love that and sometimes it's just you know perfect lighting and i love that too or sometimes you know you don't realize that your camera's broken and a big light leak just like sprays this like ray of red <laughs> across the face <laughs> of the critter that you're trying to photograph and i kind of love that as well and i love that every now and then i'll like just won't get the shot because the film didn't work or something like that it's kind of makes it a bit more exciting um yeah but yeah never really considered pursuing it um as a career i feel like it would be really difficult with film to like not know how your photo was like which is also probably the fun of it too it's really different i've yeah. not really ever heard of people taking photos of wildlife you know with a film camera yeah well there's a bit of a community building now um i've got quite a few friends who are doing it and few people who um you know haven't necessarily put down their digital cameras in the same way that i have but might take a roll of film out as well just be like let's just see what i can capture because it does give you something that you have uh, like a little bit less control over and also yeah it like challenges you in a different way um and like you said like the the beauty of shooting on film and not knowing what you've got until like weeks right like for like a good example is uh in the early days i've been shooting film solely for about three years now and um i a lady on the local community notice board on facebook had posted a photo of this sort of blurry creature in a tree and was like should this possum be out in the middle of the day like i'm a bit worried about it and i opened this photo and the silhouette of this animal just has enormous round ears and a long black tail and i'm like that's a greater glider and it was about like 15 minutes from my house and it was on <laughs> sun it was at sunset as well it was quite late in the day and i messaged this this lady and i just said hey uh just wondering exactly where you saw it like i work in wildlife <laughs> hospital uh like it might be worth me going and having a look to see how it is <laughs> and, meanwhile um, you're like like driving there <laughs> yeah i'm like loading my camera um so like i i found I found this greater glider and I think at some point it had just been spooked and it was totally okay. Um, but it was just hanging out in this tree and I'd only brought my film camera. And at this point I hadn't, um, really just put down the digital hundred percent. And I remember thinking like, you fool, you're never going to see a greater <laughs> glider in the middle of the day again. Um, but those photos worked out amazingly. And I was like, Oh, it's just, I, don't know, I think I had a sleepless night that night. But it worked out perfectly so it was like and it gave me this adrenaline rush that i think i've been chasing ever since so i just was like doing a cheeky scroll on your instagram and the photo of the boo book out that is probably one of my favorite ones that you've taken so which account are you <laughs> this is a small bird ah uh, the caesar on safari oh yeah so cool yeah, <laughs> yeah so i was just having a cheeky scroll whilst i was listening oh to nice <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Caesar, you know that we absolutely love a podcast recommendation and Tess has spoken about your podcast a lot, being the fact that she's a massive bird advocate and we do both love chatting all about birds. So we love your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and sort of way, where it all started and you know where the idea all came from? Yeah, sure. So, um, so the podcast is called Death by Birding um, and it's really like, it's just a silly bird podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's look i 
I basically, uh, I love listening to podcasts. I think like there's a podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish that I realize I've been listening to every single week for the last eight years, maybe more. <laughs> so I've always just been obsessed with podcasts. I tried to start one a few years ago unsuccessfully. <clears throat> and then I kind of, I was listening to some bird podcasts or I was sort of after some bird podcasts. And um, a lot of the stuff I listen to is like, comedic it's kind of silly and funny and um i just wanted a bird podcast that sounded sort of i don't know like a bit absurd a bit funny quite conversational a bit laid back and um i really just couldn't find exactly what i was after so i was like yeah, i'll just make my own and i announced it to the world um which meant i couldn't back down so that's fun <laughs> and people started listening to it um which meant that uh yeah i just had to keep doing it which is kind of good. I remember that moment when we as well, like put out our idea to socials and I was like, oh my gosh, we, we've done this. We have to, yeah. <laughs> we have to be like, we have to go through with it now. Like we have yeah, to come up with the content. It's, commitment. <laughs> it's so exciting, but equally like so nerve wracking as well. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like, that's basically what um, inspired me was just, I wanted to do something silly. It sort of had a few different iterations in the beginning. Like before I started recording, I thought initially I would just have the one guest on every week. Um, I'd find like a friend who's a comedian and um, not a birder. And each week I would introduce them to a new area of bird watching. So I thought I could do that. And then I just realized that it was going to be easier if I just did it myself. If I just like had, I only had to rely on myself and I could have a different guest on um, for every episode. And yeah, that's what I did. And it was good. And look, like, I don't know how you guys feel, but I cringe listening back to every single episode I've done, mainly not because of my guests, but because of me. Oh, yeah. So it's like, um, I'm so glad that there are guests on there that redeem it somewhat. Yeah. I mean, did you hear me? I said you're a conversationalist. Like, yeah. well, that's me. It's not incorrect, every... I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. That's actually what I went for. But yeah, oh, no, <laughs> I die every... Every Thursday, I drive to work and I listen to Train Talks and Tales, like cringing, yeah. listening to myself, but you got to do it. You got to do it. Um, yeah. We have been loving it. Like uh, Death by Birding has been so good and you guys, or you guys, you have just been absolutely killing it. Have you had an episode that you've just loved? Like you said, you cringe listening to it, but is there yeah. one that's been a standout? I think, and again, this is like a frog versus bird thing, right? I... <laughs> I think I I love all the uh, all the episodes because of the guests, and I don't think I've had a dud one yet. <laughs> so um, I've I've loved them heaps. I did, however, do a live podcast recording in uh, in December, and it was amazing. It was like so much fun. It was like chaotic. Uh, I had two guests. I had um, Adele Pentland, who's a paleontologist, and I had a Peter James, who's a local comedian. And it was just like, yeah, it was wild. And it was so fun to just riff in front of a crowd of people. And it sold out, which was awesome. Um, it was a cool. small room. So like unsurprising, I suppose. But, You're like, there um, was six of us and it was great. Yeah. <laughs> sold out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, um, but I was genuinely terrified that was going to happen. I was like, oh no, this is like a nightmare. What happens if I sell no tickets and then uh, I just have to cancel it? Like, you know, when you see artists cancel tours, being like, I just don't think you sold any tickets. <laughs> um, but fortunately people turned up, which was great. 
So is that like a plan going forward to do more of those? Like, is that where you want to take your podcast or like just kind of keep going with how it's been? Look, I, I would love to do more live episodes. I'm very relaxed. Like I'm very, like, despite having a lot going on, I'm pretty laid back. I'm, uh, next year I have to work as a veterinarian. That's the goal, right? That's the whole purpose of having studied like the six years of actual vet school and then the two other years before that. Like it's taken me a long time. Ultimately, my goal would be to work, you know, in the wildlife space as a veterinarian. If that means that I can't podcast, like I, that takes priority for me. Um, so I'm just enjoying it as it comes and uh, I'm making what I can while I can. I'd love to keep doing this. And yeah, if I can take this on the road and do like a little tour or something, like that's awesome. Like I'd love to do that. And just also just to explore more places and have different guests, you know, like get down to New South Wales and Victoria and meet people that I've spoken to for years and um, and meet birders down there. And I, do, I would love to do that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You, I, um, you go, Tess. Oh, sorry. No, I was like, you've inspired us. Like, let's go on the road, Daisy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, do it, do it. We'll do it. Do a festival, like a festival tour, oh like a the wildlife Imagine. podcast together. That would be yeah. so fun. Yeah, I uh... feel like I was just gonna agree with what you were saying. Like, it's podcasting has like really enabled Tess and I to just like build a community and like reach out to so many people and build connections with people we never would have had the opportunity to before, and just chat about you know so many things that are so passionate to them, to the guests and to people listening and to us as well. So it's such a great platform. So I always say like, you know, credit to you for creating that and, you know, being able to build a community around death by birding. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you guys too, this is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing you're doing and you're right. Like the ultimately what podcasts allow you to do is interact and find like your community, right? Like these small niche groups of people who all have the same interests as you. And that's yes. wonderful. Yeah, I agree completely. Well, speaking about all of your little niche things that you love to participate in, we're mm -hmm. going to chat a little bit more about the frogs because that's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit more, I guess, about being a frog conservation yeah. enthusiast? The Did I get that one right? <laughs> that's and right. Yeah, I would say I'm a frog conservation enthusiast. Yeah, I yeah. don't think I've ever participated in any serious frog conservation. And Tess has told me that you're a frog tuber. Would you like to expand uh, on what that means? <laughs> it's, yeah, not as sus as it sounds, I think. Basically, my brother-in-law, Daniel, and I, um, who is genuinely a frog conservationist, um, as he's worked with the Krimpatinga frog up north, uh, yeah, before he was doing that, we basically just decided to uh, try and do what birders normally do, which is like uh, like a big year or like a listing, like birders love lists, right? And so part of that is trying to tick off as many species as possible. And we just thought, wouldn't that be fun if we did that with frogs? We'll try and get like every frog species in Southeast Queensland and um, we'll film it. And what resulted was like this really ridiculous YouTube series called uh, Pobblebonks and Kundagungans, which... Um, <laughs> I thought of, I was like, frogs have funny names. So I'll just find two really funny names and I'll make it as niche as possible. So they're like really only hardcore frog fans will find it and that'll be great. And uh, unfortunately I succeeded in that, which meant that no one found it. <laughs> I was like, no one was interested. And we often forget to record. We're just like 
really just doing the frog thing and then um like filming what we had and we never really well, we've never really finished it we need to uh i think we got up to like 40 species and we've got maybe 20 more but one day one day we hope to finish it but it's one of those projects that'll just keep going forever yeah definitely that's pretty impressive i mean and such a cool goal as well people like the birdies are definitely like you said love a list um and i yeah. think it's great i think it's also really cool like to be able to see what's in local in our area as well yeah, I suppose ultimately, uh, ultimately, it's sort of I don't know. It can seem weird to just reduce an animal to a number on a list, right? It's like not necessarily the the nicest thing to do, um, and I think that that can be um, manipulated as well. I think that people can can sometimes forget the purpose of what we're doing with conservation and with uh, field naturalism and that sort of stuff. That like really we were just trying to make something fun that would influence others to appreciate frogs. And I suppose, yeah, I don't know. I think that it could have backfired on us like really hard because frogs are sensitive and some of those habitats, like you have to be really careful in. And obviously having been with Daniel and having, you know, somewhat been involved in frog conservation, we sort of knew how to, how to enter those habitats and we knew where to look and that sort of thing. But it, the wrong people get the wrong idea you know, that could potentially be devastating for certain frog populations. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think you're just raising awareness about them, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that was the hope. <laughs> just treat them like Pokemon. <laughs> I feel like we've mentioned so many things that you're interested in. We've already said, like, you have all these, like, side hustles and, um, you know, interests and hobbies and all that kind of stuff. Like, how do you manage it all? Like, I'm getting the impression that you're, like, one of those little kids that can't keep still. I, you said yeah. you were chill and laid back, but I'm not getting that vibe. I'm getting like yeah. you can't sit still. <laughs> oh no, I definitely can't sit still. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that the trick is if you want to try and do a lot of things at the same time, the trick is is to um, just do all of them, but not very well. I think is the goal. <laughs> Ultimately, you can get a lot in if your quality control is is very poor. <laughs> That's your secret to success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I th yeah. I think um, I used to be uh, a bit of a perfectionist and the result was that I never did anything. I never produced anything. I never created anything. And the stuff that I did create like was never actually that good because I'd overthink it. Um, but now I have like a much more Zen attitude to it. I just create as much as I feel like, and then I, I'll just release it to the world. And if people like it, they'll like it. And if they don't, then that doesn't bother me. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I feel like that's like really organic as well for you. And look, like I, I really am not an authority on any of this. And I I, I certainly don't um, feel like I'm qualified to, to necessarily, necessarily give other people advice. <clears throat> but I think when you stop, it's probably a bit of a cliche, but I do think that if you stop caring about what other people think of what you create or stop trying to like produce your own voice, and just be your own voice, that'll connect with a lot more people. Um, people want authenticity. People want to, to see who you really are. They, they want to they sort of connect to your uniqueness. So if you're just out there showing who you are, that's, I think, ultimately going to um, connect with a lot, like a broader range of people. Yeah, I think that we actually had one of our guests, uh, John from Rossafari, a few weeks ago say that to us, that the more authentic you are or more your, yourself you are in your 
um, podcast, the more people are going to be listening. And I think our first few apps, like kudos to everyone that's hung in there, but we're pretty regimented and we're like, uh, thank you. Next question. And so now we're a bit more like, yeah, true. And actually listen a bit more to the answers. So yeah, what you said is very true. If you um, are yourself and, you know, if it's definitely more authentic, people are going to be more inclined to be interested. That's for sure. Yeah. Let yourself the freedom to just explore that. And I think that particularly in the wildlife industry, um, and I certainly hope this isn't like disparaging towards anyone in particular, and I'm certainly not trying to point fingers at anyone, but I think that um, what I've noticed over the years, particularly for people that want to present or people that want to, I don't know, uh, have a social media presence or anything like that. Um, and I don't mean like presenting at zoos. I, I mean like presenting on like television or something like that mm. um, is that it's so common to see people um, try and emulate past successes of others. Right. So like there are big names in, in, um, in psychom and science communication and wildlife presenting and all that sort of stuff. And um and I think it's natural to be inspired by those people and to um, try and emulate. And sometimes it probably works, but I think that there's a real trap there, right. Of losing your authenticity and sure. like, you know, someone like Steve Irwin, who was like, amazing, right? Like such a, a good uh, bastion for wildlife conservation in his time. Um, but the reason that he connected with so many people was that because that's who he was. And, um, and I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who are very similar and that isn't who they are, but I think that it can be a trap, right. Of like yeah. seeing someone like Steve Owen and being like, Oh, I'm going to be like that. Cause that's what inspires me. But mm. I think that you, people will have a lot more success if they try and be themselves. Cause Steve Owen already did it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. suppose that'll be the same with David Attenborough when, you know, when sadly he'll pass away, I think we're going to see a lot of people be like, oh, I want to be David Attenborough. It's like, well, he did it really well for like a hundred years. But I think, you know, what an amazing life, what an amazing thing to have done and to, you know, almost universally beloved. It's insane. I don't think there's anyone else in history who's just been as universally admired as, as Sir David Attenborough. So. Yeah, I think he's just, I think it's just showing how important it is to be authentic and how that can translate really well, which is cool. So um, we do actually have those some pretty cool questions from our listeners. So if I, yeah, if on. you don't mind me cutting you off there, because these are some pretty Not cool questions. Uh, the first one's <laughs> pretty funny. Have you ever All walked right. into some, have you ever walked into something when looking through your binoculars? Have I ever walked into something <laughs> while looking through my binoculars? Um, I don't know if I have. I probably have, <laughs> to be honest. I probably have. I've definitely like almost fallen off cliffs and stuff while being distracted oh, by other things. Yeah, like I, I remember like chasing a gecko in central Queensland. I think it was a Nefurus asper. Maybe that species had changed, just like a prickly knob-tailed gecko type thing. And um, I was just like following it, trying to photograph it, and I was like backing up and backing up, and then I um. <laughs> I sort of like had finished. I'm like, all right, I'm done. And I I look behind me and I'm maybe like 20 meters up in the air on the very edge of some <laughs> fairly slippery rock formation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. And I had, I had already slipped over. It was really, really slippery. Um, 
and yeah, <laughs> just I, th- I think I'll go home now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my night. Um, so yeah, like I don't think been. I've ever walked. Yeah, I know that could have been death by <laughs> geckoing or something, um, <laughs> but uh, herping, right? Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. Have I ever walked into anything with binoculars? <laughs> I, I probably have. I've just forgotten. That question got me. That's so good. Um, the next one is: What is the rarest bird you've ever seen, and what's still on your list? All oh, right. Well, every other bird in the world that I haven't seen is still on my list. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I. Look, I had to think about this because you sent this through to me and I think that, um, look, I've seen a bunch of, you know, critically endangered, endangered birds like Regent honey eaters and swift parrots and forty spotted pardalotes. I've seen some like vagrants like um, the uh, eastern yellow wagtail, which are fairly rare in southeast Queensland as vagrants. Um, I guess with birds... Uh, it depends what you mean by rare. Like this sounds like really pedantic, but um, <laughs> you know, you could say because <laughs> a rare bird, like, are we talking about whether it's rare um, <laughs> in the population <laughs> that exists in the world, or is it rare based on distribution? <laughs> <laughs> because like birders will get like the most common bird in South America. If it turned up in Brisbane, like that would be the rarest bird anyone would ever see. You know what I mean? Like depending on, I don't know what the most common bird in South America is. Like it maybe does occur here. I don't know. But um, I think that like, that's the problem with birders, right? It's like, what's the rarest you've ever seen? And it could just be like, Oh, I saw a black bird in the gap and that, you know, people would be like, yeah, wow, that's amazing. But look, to, to answer your question, I think the most difficult bird or the most range restricted bird, I've ever seen the bird that I've worked the hardest to see was probably the Rufus scrub bird in um, Lamington national park. That was tough. It's a tough bird. Um, and yeah, they're, they're only in a few patches of sort of this remnant Antarctic beach forest, uh, um, just South of, uh, yeah, the gold coast heading further South as well. Um, I can't remember what their most fairly solidly distribution is, but, um, they're really hard to see, particularly in Lamington. And yeah, I saw it. So that I'm going to say that Rufus scrub bird. You are such a bird nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they so don't good. give you the keys to the pod bird podcast kingdom for nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like I, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a bird nerd, um, and like a yeah. unfortunately a, a proper birder. There's <laughs> nothing unfortunate about that. Um, but last question for you, obviously you have a zillion different pathways that are related to the industry, but they do all relate back to the industry and animals and wildlife in so many different ways, which one, I guess, has taught you the most about this industry or wildlife animals, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, look, that's really, really hard to answer. Cause I think that like most things, um, like your, your experiences or your knowledge is sort of an accumulation of all of your experiences over time. Um, I, I feel like there have been season, like trauma seasons in the wildlife hospital that have really taught me a lot, or there have been, um, like moments, I don't know if I'm answering this question correctly, but I think that, um, you know, you could say that the whole six years that I've spent studying <laughs> would be the thing that I learned the most from, but, um, I'm going to give a really broad answer to what I assume the question is. Um, I think that no matter what you 
like the, no matter what your pathway is, if you want to work with animals, um, the best thing to do is try and understand and spend time around animals <laughs> because like most of the, and I am sure you guys can attest to this, but like most of your skills um, come from being able to read and understand how animals work, being able to know their behavior, understand. And a lot of that just comes from observing the animals. Um, and so I think that that's like the absolutely the most important thing. I say this to everyone with like bird photographers or like wildlife photographers really have to understand their subjects. They have to spend a lot of time watching them. You have to be able to anticipate their movements. You have to be able to understand like what they're doing, what time of day are they active? Like, where are they going to be? Like, what are they, you know, what perch are they going to land on? What do I think they're going to do next? Um, how do I get close to this animal without it flushing? Like, and I, and interestingly enough, those skills have really helped me, like helped me develop my skills in every other aspect of, of veterinary science and, and photography, even like going out and part of the veterinary degree is like working on farms, like my ability to herd cattle and herd sheep, like they're the exact same skills of like understanding the flight range of an animal and like watching its body language and all that sort of stuff. So I just think like, yeah, I don't think I answered that question correctly, but that's my advice anyway. I think you no, actually answered I... that really well. Yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, wow, Caesar, I really, really enjoyed this chat. I feel like we covered a lot of things there, um, but we'd have to with all the different things that you're across. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We've really, really enjoyed having you on. So thank you no, so much for your time. And sorry, my Zoom kicked me off three times. So hopefully <laughs> this episode's okay. That's okay. I probably talk so much that like you probably could have both logged off like 30 minutes ago and I would have kept talking. Um, but that's okay. Like, thank you so much for having me. Um, of course, you're both more than welcome to come on the podcast. I'd love to have you on. Um, and we can sort of delve into your experiences. And Tess has just logged off <laughs> once again. <laughs> well, we should definitely organize our um, wildlife podcasting tour. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, let's do it. Where would we yeah. host them? Like, where would they? Where would they be recorded? Would we have to do a tour of like the zoos of, yeah, of Australia, maybe. or like record them there, or somewhere where we where can get like a, a good margarita? We could get a good lime milkshake, maybe a Hawaiian pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Anywhere that I can increase my bird list. <laughs> yeah, true. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much again, Caesar. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Wow. Okay. I did not realize that someone could have so much on their resume and so many little things that he is dabbling in and so many exciting projects he's working on. So he's definitely someone I'm keen to keep in touch with and hopefully we can build a really cool relationship with him as well, being a fellow podcaster. Yeah, absolutely. Even when we were writing his questions, I was like, oh, yep, photography. Yep, vet. Oh, yep, amphibians. Holy moly, there's a lot to cover here. So <laughs> hopefully we scratched at the surface, but we hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, we're going to be on Death by Birding. So listen out for Daisy and Tess on uh, his awesome podcast at some stage. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Well, that is us wrapping up another week, but we are so excited to bring you an really cool episode next week too so have a great week everyone and we'll chat to you soon bye